0: sitting there thinking there are a lot of comments I could make or perhaps are running through your mind about uh, being the last one, and, uh, but we'll forego all that. <laughs> well, this morning, we're going to take a look at the parable of the lost son. And uh, you know, this parable is really about, uh, about three people. You know, there's the prodigal son and the older son and the father. And that's a good three-sermon series. But we're just going to focus on uh, the prodigal son, um, unpack, unpack that first uh, today. And in the prodigal son's story, he turned away, he turned around, and he turned out right. And that's our outline. First of all, he turned away. Now, Jesus begins his parable in Luke chapter 15, 11 through 16. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field uh, to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. So in this parable, a wealthy farmer has two sons and the younger son was restless and bored with his life And so he decided to leave the father's house and see what the world had to offer, an adventurous youth with money in his pocket. He would soon find out that the world had a great deal to offer in short-term pleasures and excitement to a free spender with a flexible conscience. So the younger son demands his share of the inheritance. In that day, the older brother would have received a double portion of the inheritance, and the other children then received equal shares of the remainder. We know that the father was wealthy. He had lands, hired servants, was preparing a calf for some celebration, and all of this in that culture speaks of great wealth. But the son demands his share, and the father gives in to him. Now, Jesus does not dwell on what must have been a painful parting for the father. Knowing the nature of his younger son and the ways of the world with inexperienced youths with money, the father must surely have tried to warn him and plead him and beseech his young son, uh, perhaps even with tears. But in the text, we know only the bare essentials, and those are the boy demanded to share the inheritance that would be due him at his father's death, and those are the father gave in to his demand, and the young man wasted no time setting out on his his great adventure. After turning his assets into currency, the younger son turned his back on his home and was soon living it up in the hot spots of the Middle East, and he'd left all of his training in childhood. It was abandoned, and he plunged into the dingy world of gambling and wine, women, and song, pleasure, being his own boss, doing exactly what he pleased, when he pleased and with whomever he pleased. And in his view, he was really living. But as always, the world exacts a heavy price for that kind of independence in a pleasure experiment. And the day eventually came when the young man's last 20 bucks was gone. He was left out on the streets, in a foreign land with nothing, and, interestingly enough, there were no friends anymore. Funny how that seems to work. He was suddenly just one of the homeless street people of that town. He was probably sleeping in doorways or digging through the trash of his former friends for a morsel of food for survival. He may have begged. was probably much like some of the homeless people we see today. Perhaps he had tried to find a job, but he was turned down, and he finally secured a job feeding pigs for a Gentile farmer. Think about that. That's the ultimate humiliation for a former rich Jewish kid. And so he slopped the hogs. He longed to eat the same stuff that they were eating. Now this kind of thing, unfortunately, is still happening today when I was a youth minister in a church in Tacoma, uh, we had a gal in the youth group, uh, junior or senior, I can't remember, her name was Lonnie. And uh, she and her family had been coming to uh, a church there for about a year uh, with her siblings. And so one night, uh, Sunday night youth group, uh, she came a little bit late with her new boyfriend, a biker, who was about five or six years older than her, and she said hi to all of us, introduced us to him, whatnot, and then she hopped on the back of that hog and said, see you later, and off they went. And that's the last we ever saw of her. At least as long as I was in Tacoma, nobody knew where she was or what had happened. Her parents didn't. And of course, her family was very, very devastated because they had nightmares about where was she and what was she doing and would she come home and how could we find her? Turning away still happens, doesn't it? Turning away from God need not be in some dramatic fashion as is illustrated in the prodigal son or Lonnie of the youth group. We've all turned away from God just fine, thank you, due to our sin and a few not so stellar decisions we've made in our lives. The scriptures state that all have turned away like sheep doing their own thing. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have forgotten that he is the Lord and we are his children. Instead, we have tried to run our own lives and have reaped the results of thinking we knew better how to do it. We have turned away from our Heavenly Father and have found ourselves in places that we had not envisioned, doing things that we had really not planned, and in places that have brought us pain and guilt. And so the first point this morning is to remind us and to encourage us, watch yourself. Don't turn away from the Lord. The result is nothing like what you envision, and you set yourself up for much heartache and pain. Secondly, he turned around. The parable of the prodigal son first talks about the younger son who turned away, but secondly, we find that that son turned around. Jesus continues the parable in Luke 15:17 through 19. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So finally, from the smelly muck of the pigsty, he took stock of himself and he was repulsed at what he found and he slowly turned his mind and his thoughts towards home. The text says he came to his senses. He was homeless and broken. And then for the first time since he had set out from home, he was really open to help. My friends, this single point is so pivotal. Unfortunately for our prodigal, only when all of his resources were exhausted and he had no other way to go, did he turn his heart towards home where he had the only true friend in the whole world, his father. But then it dawned on him that he no longer had any legitimate claim to be a son of the father. He left. He got his inheritance, and it was all gone. What could he do? He was unworthy of his father's love. It was then he resolved to go back and throw himself upon his father's mercy, confess his sin, and plead to become only a hired servant. Humble and repentant, he turned around, and he went back home. I want you to think for a moment with me. Answer this question within your own mind and soul. When was it that you came to your senses? When was it that it dawned upon you that your dream of how you thought your life was going to be turned out to be a nightmare? When was it that you realized that you needed to turn your life around and turn it over to the only one who could really help? Jesus Christ. When was it that you came to your senses either initially when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or subsequently as a Christian? When the Holy Spirit has warned you and encouraged you to take a different direction than the path you were walking down at a particular point in your life. Both categories involve repentance. And both categories involved a turning towards Christ, a turning towards home. Third, he turned out right. Right. The prodigal son turned away, then turned around, which enabled him to turn out right. Jesus finishes the first part of his parable in Luke 15:20 20 through 24. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father saw his son long before he actually got to the house. Have you pictured this in your mind before? What what that might have looked like in your head? I have many times. I speculate that many times the father probably stood at the doorway and just glanced down the road, just hoping to maybe see the silhouette of his son. Imagine his joy when on a particular day, he does see a, a silhouette of his son coming How would you feel he runs down the road and meets the son and the son tries to confess you know father I've sinned against you I'm no longer worthy to be your son can I just come home and be a hired servant and he confesses to his father and then probably just right immediately after that because it's important for the boy to get the confession out. You know, the father starts giving orders to the servants. Prepare the, prepare the fatted calf. And this one that was lost has come home. And then they had a party. After the father's joyous initial meeting with the son, the father gave him four things which showed the son that he was truly home. Almost as if he'd never been gone. You remember what those were? He received a ring, a robe and a ring, sandals. And we must not forget this last part, a party. And these are significant gifts. First, he received a robe. The son probably came home clothed in the rags of a slave, a down and outer. I'm convinced he didn't come home in the same clothes or the same type of clothes as when he left. But the father told his servants to fetch the best robe and put it on him. This clothed him not in the rags of his past, but in the clothes of a new man. This changes what the apostle Paul was alluding to in his second letter to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. For us today, this forgiveness is best initially signified by being baptized into Christ. That water symbolizes the cleansing from sin. How many of you remember your baptism? I do. It pictures the repentant heart submitting to Jesus. One comes up from the water clean and refreshed and forgiven and pure. Indeed, the old has passed away and the new has come up. But a cleansing still happens for Christians who have strayed but returned home as explained in first john 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and for, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and so the father bestowing the son with a new robe is a beautiful picture of total forgiveness and cleansing of god which one experiences when he or she turns home to the father second the father bestowed a ring on the son's finger. In that day, the giving of this ring may have very well been the giving of a family signet kind of ring. It was like giving the authority, image, and presence of the giver to the bearer. With the ring, he could act and speak with authority of the giver. The ring represented the one who gave it, and the bearer became his image, even ambassador. As long as the bearer had the ring, he, in a sense, had the presence and authority of the giver. Well, when one turns home to the Father, he or she receives something from God as a token of their relationship and presence. John fourteen, sixteen and seventeen, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. When one comes home and turns to the father, he or she receives the presence of Christ himself indwelling the person. He or she will never be alone again. It is the ring of his presence. And aren't you glad? Third, the father also gave son sandals. As a hireling, he probably did not have shoes. He was probably barefoot. He came back to the father shoeless, In that day, those of the household wore sandals, but servant slaves did not. Therefore, by giving the son sandals, the father was picturing his acceptance of the son back as son, not as servant. And this is exactly what our heavenly father does for us when we come home to him. Galatians 4, 7. So through God, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. When we return home, we become as sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus. We are no longer slaves to our former life, but sons and daughters of the Father. Fourth, he received a party. Once President Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners, the war was almost over, and the person who asked thought that he was... Lincoln was going to talk about vengeance and stuff like that. And Lincoln just simply said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. In the parable, the father received the son home and threw a party. He was accepted. Most were thrilled to see him. He didn't have to pass a test or repay the money. It was uplifting and encouraging and hopeful and happy. And that's just what those that have been battered by their own bad decisions and battered by the world need, they need a party. And I think it's wonderful to throw a type of party for those who have turned away, but turned around and have turned out right. We celebrate with hand claps and cheers and well done at every baptism, don't we? That's the start of the party. I remember when I was, uh, ministering at uh, West Salem, that we had uh, several baptisms in Thomas Creek. You know where Thomas Creek is? a Little past Staten. It's one of my favorite fishing places, by the way. But we uh, baptized uh, two or three people, as I recall. And then guess what? After we thumped each other's backs and all of that kind of thing, we went to Dairy Queen in Staten. And we celebrated, we threw a party. Do you think those folks remembered that? One time, we baptized a couple of people at church, and the family invited us over to their house, and we had a barbecue in the backyard. When I was a youth minister in Monmouth, we had a young man who was a student at OCE back then. You know what I'm talking about? Woe you now. And um, and after his baptism, we all went back to the church and had a pancake breakfast. In the parable of the lost son, the father received him back with joy and gave him a robe of forgiveness, the ring of his presence, the shoes of sonship, and celebrated with a party. The son was home, almost as if he'd never been away. He turned out right. Well, so the lost son came home. He had turned away. He then turned around and he turned out right. This is what repentance is all about. This is the process that all of us have gone through or will go through as we deal with the sin in our lives and accept Jesus' remedy for it. It doesn't matter if you were a Christian and then became a prodigal. It doesn't matter if you never were a Christian but lived as a prodigal because whether we know it or not, we're all God's children. He created, we are part of his creation. This is what the hurting ones of the world most desperately need and seek. They want to find a home somewhere. And it is the heavenly Father who is standing in his allegorical doorway, watching and encouraging all of us to come to our senses and come to him and come home. And then the father provides what we need to stay home and be right. Out in a certain town in Pennsylvania, there was a young man who uh, uh, got tired of living on the farm. and, uh, And so he just took off and left. And the parents didn't know where he went. And, uh, of course, he went to the big city and, uh, and squandered what money he had and all kinds of uh, bad things. And then, after several years, and, of course, the parents didn't know where he was. He never communicated with them. And uh, they had nightmares every night just about for a while. Where is he? What's he doing? How could we help? And so, but one day, he started kind of, taken stock of his life. And he came to his senses. And so he got a job and and got enough money that he could buy a bus ticket to his t- hometown. And so he got on the bus and he started heading towards uh, the little town. And when he got to town, he just couldn't get off the bus. You know, just everything that was going on was just kind of swirling around him and too much. And so he stayed on the bus and went about two or three towns over and then got off there. And then he sat down and he wrote a letter home to his parents and explained that he had been so wrong in what he had done and confessed to his folks and asked permission to come home. If, if he came home, would they accept him? He said, I'll be back in town in four days. And if it's okay, put a sheet on the clothesline. And so he mailed that letter. Four days later, he got back on the bus and went back and got off the bus in his little town and walked about a mile just on the edge of town uh, to where the farm was. And he uh, happened to glance around the backyard and guess what he saw? The whole yard had sheets everywhere. Fitted sheets, flat sheets, pillowcases, yanked out of the dirty clothes, wherever. And they were hung on the clothesline and the fence and the hedge and the porch. Imagine what that young man thought. I'm home. I'm home. And I bet they had a big party. That's abundant pardon. The son who had turned away had turned around and turned out right. He had repented. He was forgiven and he was welcomed home. The old hymn says it all. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? If you'll take one step towards the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end. Within your heart, he'll abide. Time after time, he has waited before. And now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. Oh, how he wants to come in. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are the God that you are that you love us and that you search for us. You endeavor to gather us. And Father, help, help our stubbornness. Help us to turn to you and come home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.